It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Daily Assist brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Out to the Sprint special guest line we go. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, our good friend Sam Amick. Hi, Sam. How are you? Good afternoon, guys. Doing well. Did you manage to uh, have any fun or take a break during the All-Star break, or have you been just hammering it through? No, I, I did. You know, all it takes to know that I, I got a breather was to, is to look at my story archive. I haven't written in a few days. <laughs> um, I uh, We went down to San Francisco as a family, and ironically, I'm, I'm actually back there now to watch this game tonight between the Rockets and the Warriors. But uh, we, we did a little bit of Alcatraz. We we went to, to some of the, uh, the, the touristy sites and, and sounds around San Francisco over the weekend, so that was fun. So what was your impression of Alcatraz? i got to ask you that because I've been fascinated by historical sites like that, and I've never actually gone there. I've seen it many times, but never actually experienced that. What were your impressions? So, Gordon, uh, I grew up uh, in a town called Pleasanton, about 40 minutes from San Francisco. So for me, it was an interesting thing because I went there a lot as a kid on field trips. But, I mean, if I had to guess, it had probably been 25, 30 years since I had been there. Um, my my first reaction was, now that I'm the one who's got to pay the bills, I, I looked at the the, uh, the price tag and I said, man, 150 bucks for four people? Like, my gosh. They, uh, you know, what we later learned that was actually pretty interesting is that the it takes a pretty obscene amount of money to keep Alcatraz uh, even in the condition that it's in, the, the, the ocean is just beating it up in a, a pretty incredible way. But all in all, I mean, it's an incredibly interesting place. It's obviously, you know, the most notorious prison, I think, in the history of the country uh, and a place that because of the geography is, is just uh, equal parts, you know, haunting and hellish where it's the island. Uh, just, I think it's a mile and a quarter off of the San Francisco coastline. And when you're on that island, you just put yourself in, the prisoners, you know, shoes and think about how they, they had this terrible existence and they would always kind of be tortured by, by you know, looking at one of the most beautiful cities in the world. And, and it seemed so close, but I'm sure so far away. So it was, it was pretty deep. So do you think the guys who purportedly or supposedly or might have escaped on uh, what they do, blow up some sort of uh, contraption of some sort to to escape did they really were they successful sam or you think not if i'm handicapping it i I think not in fact it's funny the night before we made the trip we watched an hour-long documentary about that escape attempt and and some scientists tried to recreate all of the conditions within the bay uh, based on everything from like the historically accurate reconstruction of the raft which was essentially them collecting a bunch of uh, raincoats, like the stock raincoats that the, the guards on the island would wear. They, they kept kind of getting their hands on those and, and storing them and hiding them away, and then eventually stitching those coats together uh, into, into what it eventually was the raft. But, I mean, if the, the scientists tried to recreate it in prime conditions, uh, and, and they were unsuccessful. So I think the, uh, the smart money is on the fact that those guys probably got uh, you know, pulled out into the bay underneath the Golden Gate Bridge and, 
and off into their end. Oh, wow. Man. Speaking of escaping from prison of the Cavs, uh, <laughs> with their recent move, what, seriously, what do you make of that whole thing? What do you, it's just like, uh, it's kind of like a zoo there, uh, all the aftermath of, uh, of what it is for place. sure. I mean, I mean, it's a, you know, it's one of our guys, and, uh, Jason Lloyd, Joe Varden, Sean Sharani, and Kelsey Russo uh, at our place did a really good job on the story. And, and one of their pieces had a line that talked about how John Beeline was not the problem, he was the symptom. And he had plenty of mistakes that he made on his own, a ton of them, in fact. But there is this long history now, even when LeBron was there, of choices being made where it, it's, you know, they're not the only organization to struggle with this, but when ownership and management try to pretend that they're on the same page, but they're truly not, and they make decisions in a push-and-pull type of way that's just not a, a creative, positive energy, a lot of times it leads to this. So the beeline higher appears to have been driven by Dan Gilbert. And then, you know, Kobe Altman, their GM, uh, in this reporting I found really interesting, he, he gave J.B. Bickerstaff a salary of about $1.8 million, which for an assistant coach, it's, you know, it's going to be one of the highest in the league, if not the highest. I think Jason Kidd's probably the highest at this point. But um, the point being that it was like you, you almost built this thing to fail because you, you knew that JB needed to be properly compensated, so that if he had to take over at some point, you know he would he'd feel up to that challenge. And so maybe they didn't see that happening six months in, but it does appear that they they saw that happening at some point. And John's part, I mean, it's it's pretty mind blowing to hear the stories about the way he ran the team, the way he kind of drove these NBA players into the ground with his with his style and his routine and, you know, Jackie McMullen from ESPN, who's about as irrefutable as anybody in the business has said on a podcast the other day that, that, you know, just to give you an idea that at one point Beeline had apparently uh, considered having a practice on Christmas day, you know, your team's not even playing on Christmas day. And, and that's the kind of thing that fans might shrug their shoulders and say, Oh, cry me a river. But like, that's just, it just does not happen in the NBA. You you have a marathon schedule, 82 games. You know, those are the types of things you don't do unless you had a long, long, successful college coaching career and you just decided to take that blueprint and just put it right on NBA players and think it was going to work. Sam Amick with us, 97.5 and 1280 of the zone. Sam, want to get your thoughts on the All-Star game, uh, the, the format certainly, and uh, Rudy and Donovan's performance as well. Yeah, the format was great. Um, you know, I hadn't heard of Dr. Elam um, ever, and then now all of a sudden can't get away from him, and he's the, the inventor of, you know, the, the ending of these games, something that has been used in the past on what's called the, the basketball tournament, something that uh, Chris Paul, the head of the Players' Union, recommended to Adam Silver, and as you guys know, you know, no timing, uh, no clock in the fourth quarter, and you essentially you get to a target score, uh, and so the intent is that there's got to be a game-winning shot. Instead of one team being up by 20 and, and the game kind of just teetering out at the end and, and not being very exciting, you have instead what we had. But, you know, that also requires the players playing with passion and playing on both ends of the floor. And, I mean, that fourth quarter, you know, I'm going to go back whenever I have a few spare minutes and, and go watch it on YouTube just for fun. I mean, those players, we know how talented they are. We don't ever get to see that collection of talent 
on the same floor. It was a lot of fun to uh, to see them do their thing and actually care. Donovan and Rudy, you know, this is me being just just trying to be real, guys. I watched part of the third quarter. I watched the entire fourth. There wasn't a ton of Donovan and Rudy during that time, so I, I know Rudy blocked a bunch of shots and had some fun on that front. You know, and, and beyond that, it seemed like those guys were not necessarily part of the the, the coaches. They seemed to kind of decide that there was you know these old heads were going to go out and play ball together near the end. I mean, there were you know especially on the east side, there wasn't much rotating going on. Um, but you know, it was it was fun all in all, and, and obviously the Jazz were were uh, well represented. Yeah, uh, Sam. In fact, uh, Rudy, who had 21 points and 10 or 11 boards, was it? Uh, And and people were a little upset around here that he did not see any uh, playing time in the fourth quarter, that he might have made a difference defensively since Team Giannis had the lead uh, and then squandered it. It it was exciting to watch in the fourth quarter, but, you know, folks here, fans want to see their guys play, and it didn't happen. I did think it was interesting that in that fourth quarter, uh, Nick Nurse had all Eastern Conference players on the floor for Team Giannis, and uh, the we- the, uh, the Team LeBron was all Western Conference players. I don't know if that was coincidence or what, but it was a fact. Right. I know, and, and I'm still obviously, you know, drilling it into my head that it's, you know, Team LeBron and Team Giannis, but I only, you know, Nick Nurse and Frank Vogel know exactly where their heads were at. I, I did think on the Vogel side, you know, that because he's the Lakers coach, I, I was looking at the guys that he was playing, and there's certainly a thread between a lot of them in terms of players who had uh, deeper relationships with Kobe Bryant, and it almost felt like I think that's probably, at least in part, where Frank's head was at. Um, you would think, though, that, that 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 would have equated on the team Giannis to somebody like a Jimmy Butler who didn't play much at all in the fourth quarter, if at all. And so that was a little bit surprising. But, again, all in all, fun, and, and not only fun, but I talked to somebody from the NBA today, and I was telling them that I was just very happy that nobody got hurt, you know, because they're, they're playing so hard that that's, that's the only thing that could have ruined it is if somebody pulled up lame, and thankfully that didn't happen. Sam, what team uh, in L.A. do you like the most at the moment? Um, you know, I, I enjoy – watching the Lakers more. Uh, so the heart tells me the Lakers based on entertainment value and and then honestly the vibe between their players and their, their environment and their culture and the style of their leaders and their personalities. Um, I, but I'm going to have to put all that on the side and say that the brain and the evidence right now would give a slight edge to the Clippers. I mean, not only have they won both of the meetings between the two teams, but they won at the trade deadline. You could argue maybe even won too much. I'm not really sure to what degree Reggie Jackson is going to help them, but if nothing else, getting Reggie Jackson and, you know, if this, is, if this was a motivation, you better not tell Reggie, um, kept him away from the Lakers. Uh, they needed another playmaker and another ball handler because when LeBron's off the floor, they fall off a cliff offensively. But – Marcus Morris, uh, you know, and, and just what the Clippers have been able to do in general, where they are, I think I'll give them the edge. Who's the best team in the league? Is it the Bucks or is it the you know are the two teams in the West? I yeah, mean, it, no, it's, it's the Bucks, it's hard to say. and that's 
I think it's the Bucks. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're not alone, Gordon, to to, to ponder the question. I, I've been on a soapbox lately, preaching about the Bucks because uh, I, I'm just a sucker for once you dive into the numbers, once you see the dominance, once you see it in historical context. It's just, it, you know, I don't know. I, I can't. I'm not going to bet my mortgage on the fact that they get the job done and they win the championship, but it's just hard not to call them the favorites because of how incredibly dominant they have been. I mean, it's very reminiscent of the Warriors in not even their 73 win year, but the 2014-15, I believe it was, when you know Steph was basically only playing the first three quarters of the game because they were so dominant. That's what's happening this year with Giannis. So, you know, if you prorate his numbers on a per 48-minute basis, he's doing stuff that has never been done before. We're talking, you know, Will Chamberlain-level uh, obscene numbers. Now, Will actually did those numbers because he would play 45 minutes a game in some, some years, and Giannis is coming in at 30 minutes a game. But um, they're incredibly dominant, and, you know, I think we are still guilty of overlooking them. So if you uh, if I gave you a, a choice of let's say uh, well those three teams the Lakers the Clippers and the Bucks versus the field I know you're not a betting man but if you were going to make that bet would you go with one of the three over the field Um so that the presumption is I mean that's basically a question of how do I feel about Houston Utah Boston, Toronto, Philly, you know, yeah, I, mean, I think I would, I'd probably take those three. Um, would you? You know, I feel like the rest of them are a tier below, and even part of the motivation to get to this Warriors game tonight is I haven't seen the small ball Rockets in person yet since they got Robert Covington and sent Clint Capella out. Um, I think they're two and two, um, but, you know, the, the analytics have been pretty good. So we'll see what I think about Houston. But I, I do think those three um, are, are head and shoulders above. Again, with I, I think the Bucks are in a class all their own, but, but there's definitely a drop-off after those three. Sam, thank you. As always, enjoy San Francisco in the game tonight. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. See you. Thanks, Sam. Sam Amick, senior NBA writer for The Athletic. I loved hearing him talk about Alcatraz. I know he's an NBA writer. But that stuff is fascinating to me. I know you're a bit of a student of history. Yeah, as yeah. Well. and and Sam is a he's a really interesting person. He's yeah. a, he's a really interesting guy. So always a pleasure to have him on once a week and does incredible things at the Athletic. If you're not a subscriber, recommend it to not only for Sam but many many great writers. Let me ask this question of our listeners, and you can contact us at, at Gordon Monson or at Jake Scott Zone. Um. If you, of all the places you visited, historically speaking, which one impacted you the most? It's a selfish question on my part, but I'd, I'd like to know. Because our listeners are darn hmm. smart, even the ones that rip, rip us on a regular basis. But they're really smart. If you've had an experience at a historical site that really meant something to you or that you would recommend, I'd, I'd love to hear that. Okay, this is a little outside the box. I don't know if this would be my real answer if I had a chance to think about it. Uh-huh. But the first two places to come to mind are either the Met or uh, the Chicago Art Institute because you're looking at 
stuff from history. Oh. Pretty, you know, uh-huh. pretty amazing works of art. Like at the Chicago Art Institute has Van Gogh's self-portrait where he has is oh. missing the ear. Oh, yeah? You know, and, mm. and so maybe one of those, because I guess it's not like Mount Vernon or something where it's a historical place, but it is full of history. Okay. How about that? All right. I'll tell you a place that I had that's uh, an experience that was different than yours uh, for, I guess, different reasons. But the first time I went to Dealey Plaza. All right. That that uh, I felt that. All right. You know, that's a good one because that happened when I was quite young. But I remember watching those events, uh, you know, and when JFK was assassinated. uh, So when I went there. I, I I almost ran because I we pulled up in the car and we parked in the back and and we just we I, I wanted to see it and then they have a fantastic uh, museum there uh, as a part of that Texas School Book Depository up on the, uh, the I think the sixth and seventh floors uh, that made an impact on me uh, so if anybody has any other suggestions contact us uh, and uh, yeah, I'd like to know. We'll have more of the big show coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.